Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. Is follow-up a chore or is follow-up an opportunity? How you answer that question will tell me a lot about your success drive. Let's get into that today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, welcome everyone once again to The Buyer's Mind, the podcast where we want to know how to serve our customers most effectively by understanding them on a very, very deep level, learning how to meet their needs and not just with our product, but with the service we provide. And one of those valuable parts of our service is our follow-up, is how we stay in touch with that customer even after we've had that conversation in the first place. And it's not just a matter of doing follow-up because your sales manager makes you do follow-up or, or because you are going to get behind on your CRM tasks if you're not doing follow-up, but actually doing this as a service that we provide to our customers. Uh, Murph, we've had this conversation before, and you know that we have uh, uh, the book Follow-Up and Close the Sale uh, coming out in, in the summer here. So it is a topic that I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, but when you think about follow-up, you've been around long enough here to see that this is something that a lot of salespeople tend to avoid and ignore. Why do you think that's the case? I think that the basic idea is I'm going to annoy my customer. You know, it's all about, you know, mm -hmm. hey, did you get my email? Hey, did you get my phone call? Hey, what'd you think about uh, what I presented to you? It just it feels like you're just on repeat. And I think that if you see yourself as annoying, you're probably practicing annoying things. <laughs> that is, you've earned the title if you're not careful here. And we want to look at it in a completely different way. We're going to look at it today with the idea that sales is not an optional thing, that it is a valuable part of the service that we provide. And I want to just challenge your thinking on this, because you might be sitting there right now as a sales professional going, okay, yeah, 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 service provider. Okay, got it, Jeff. Thank you very much. No, no, it's not about what goes on in your mind. It's about what goes on in your action. Are you serving your customer through your follow-up? I want you to think about the follow-up that you've been doing recently. I want you to think about the last several follow-up attempts, whether they were by email, by phone, by video messaging, whatever it happened to be. What was your motive? What was your mindset during that practice? Because if I looked at it this way, if, if I baked a pie and wanted to take it to my new neighbor, I, I would lovingly bake the pie just for them. I would carry it over and I'd be very, very happy to hand them that pie because I did something for them. That would make me feel good in the process. It would make me feel good in the execution. It would make me feel good actually handing over the pie. But with follow-up so often, well, I guess I got to do my follow-up. That's the wrong way to look at it. We want to look at it as, a, as if we can be happy to do our follow-up, 
because we are adding value to our customer's life. Now, we're adding value either through the content that we provide or we're adding value because we're making it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway. But your mindset on follow-up is absolutely critical, and it'll help you determine your effectiveness on follow-up. We'll get into that today with a, a real strong sales thinker and business strategist, Meredith Powell, all about sales follow-up. Let's listen. Well, now we're thrilled to have on the buyer's mind one of the really great sales thinkers in the world today, Meredith Powell, uh, the author of the best sales book ever. She's prolific in her her writing and her speaking. She's one of the strongest motivational speakers out there today. And she's a business growth strategist. And she helps her clients learn the techniques that are going to take uncertainty and turn it into competitive advantage. Really excited to talk to Meredith. How are you, my friend? I am great. Thank you. Excited to be here. And um, I love that you called me a business strategist because so often I get uh, more labeled a keynoter. But uh, th- yeah. but thank you for that, because I uh, business strategist is truly what I am. Good, 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 good. How did you tell us about your journey? How did you how did you get into the world of sales? What fascinated you about the world of sales? What What brought you to where you are today? Well, you know, I'll just give you a couple quick thoughts on that. I mean, number one was um, I was raised uh, not to sell that. Um, I was raised by a mother that said it was rude to ask people for things and don't be aggressive and certainly don't do those things if you're a female. So I was always very anti-sales, but always very social. Um, I was always well-connected in my community, really understood that I needed to connect one person to another. So I get kept getting hired by companies because I was outgoing that wanted me to sell. Mm-hmm. And lucky for me, I got into um, healthcare, I got into the finance, and I got into travel and tourism, all three industries that I worked in, in times of extreme change. And mm-hmm. the only way to survive was um, was to sell. So traditional methodologies did not work for me. I had to design a methodology that was allowed me to feel like I was more helping people than selling um, a product or service, which, you know, we know from being in the industry a long time, a lot of sales training, especially during the 80s and 90s, was quite aggressive and um, came out the other side of it and just, um, I've, I've loved it. I'm passionate. Now I want to help other people really learn to be good at sales, comfortable with sales, because it's the best skill you can have. Are you a change freak by nature? Are, do, are you, you, you good with change? <laughs> I am. You know, I, I let's say let's say I'm good with change when change is my idea. The freak that I am <laughs> is that I am a I am a um, I am a problem freak. Like when the economy goes into tailspin and things like that, that's kind of when I turn on. I like when industries are going through challenge. That's mm-hmm. kind of when I shine. You know, it's interesting. I was just we're going to talk about sales follow up here in just a moment. But I've been thinking about this recently because, you know, as I, I can't remember. I think it was Dr. Professor Elliot Cohen who was writing about um, the idea of not change freaks, but the opposite of that. And that is control freaks and that control freaks, when things go bad, when the economy turns, when there's a, a, a tectonic shift for some reason, that those people who are control freaks have, tend to have that perfectionist tendency and they really panic because so yeah. much feels like it's out of their control. Well, you're looking at it the opposite. And and by the way, I feel like I'm the same way. I I, yeah. I like to think that I rise to the occasion when things are going uh, a little bit askew or awry. Uh, but but it's interesting that we, we still can't control anything. So why are you able to keep calm and say, hey, everybody, it's going to be okay. Let's try this when everybody else is freaking out. 
You know, um, I don't know. I guess it's because the um, what what gets me excited and what gets me motivated is um, is here's a problem, and it's a problem nobody feels like can be solved right now. You know, all the obstacles are there. And I have just been programmed since I was young that the moment that you tell me it can't be done, I get excited and I want to find the way that it can be done. And then Mm -hmm. I want to help everybody else figure that out too. Yeah. 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 So how do you handle the unknown though? Because if you, if you get into a time where, uh, again, those control freaks, there's like, it's the fear of the unknown. I don't know what can happen. But you and I don't know what's going to happen, and yet we do okay. So what is your secret for dealing with the unknown for that which is out of your control? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just uh, shot a video and wrote a blog about this um, this mm-hmm. morning that will yeah. go up, is that I really back up and decide what I can focus on, mm-hmm. um, really what is within my control. And Because, you know, energy, your thought follows energy, right? So mm-hmm. you want your energy going into. So first of all, I think you need to allow yourself to freak out a little bit. If you had a conversation with my husband right now, a week ago, he would tell you I was a little out of my mind. Okay, because mm-hmm. yeah. you know everything's yeah. canceling. I'm kind of worried. Yeah. You yeah. need to get those emotions out, and then you come back and you make a plan and you make a strategy and you ask yourself, what can I can control? That mm-hmm. what needs to be worked on now? What needs to be worked on for where I see the business or my sales team or or my clients um, in you know in the next six months? And you put yourself on a schedule. I really believe that motion and progress are what calm us down. We can't fix the situation. But Mm -hmm. if I do something every day to move myself forward, I will calm myself down. In sales, we want as sales leaders, we want our salespeople to be in control. As sales professionals, we want to feel like we are in control. And that means that we should be able to look at the the habit, uh, almost a discipline of follow-up, I'd rather call it a habit of follow-up, and say, well, there you go. I can control that. And yet, and and I wanted to talk to you because you wrote a fantastic blog piece about this. We'll put the link in the show notes about follow-up. I It's my favorite subject these days because I have a book coming out on follow-up. Uh, and yet what we find here is that it is a, a habit that has not been adopted by so many salespeople. <laughs> they think that follow-up is telling their CRM to send some form letter a week after a conversation and hoping that that does it, as you and I both know, that's not going to happen. So when we're looking at it, on the one hand, we want to be in control. On the other hand, when it comes to follow up, we're not doing something that we really could control. Why is this (laughs) happening? You know, I think it's I think it's because and um, and I love that you have a book coming out on this because this is this is the sales the part of the sales process I'm passionate about. It's the mm-hmm. part that I speak about and I write about the most because I do feel it, it is the neglected part and it's the most powerful part of the, um, the sale doesn't happen without the follow-up. It just doesn't happen. But I think that as salespeople, I think there's a couple of things working. Number one, we're high energy, outgoing, you know, we want instant gratification. I mean, your program for a salesperson, I find myself, there's nothing I love better than the hunt, getting Mm -hmm. that prospect to actually meet with me. And oh my gosh, you know, if they actually say we're interested, it's like an adrenaline rush, right? And so, and and follow-up just doesn't have the same, you know, until they actually say yes, you know, it, it doesn't have the same you know, system to it. The other is, I think that all of the sales training focuses so much on 
the prospecting and so Mm -hmm. much on getting that part right. And what questions do you ask? And are you listening that it falls short on um, on the follow up? I mean, most of the stuff that I go in and do with organizations is they'll say, can you skinny up the other part? But what we're really attracted to is the follow up pieces that um, that you offer, because that's where our team is falling down. You know, it's really interesting when one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is because if you just Google search sales follow up books, yeah, good luck with that. And it's really interesting because like like you, I get this request from clients a lot. We 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 are not doing that follow up. We need to work on that follow up. But there don't seem to be a lot of people out there talking about it as least as much as they should. Um, when we look at follow up, there is that, and I've by, I completely agree with you. The idea that uh, you know, getting the appointment, sitting down with somebody, <laughs> asking a closing question—that's the sexy part of the sale, right? And then when we think about the grind of follow up, you know, somebody once said that uh, only 10% of marketing is effective. The problem is we don't know what 10% that is. It's the same thing with follow-up, right? We don't know what's going to hit and what's going to not, but we do know that if we do 0% of effort, that we're going to get 0%. Uh, of results. It's it's one of those things where it, when we're thinking about follow-up, and this is there's a question in the future, I promise you here, Meredith. Sure. <laughs> when we're thinking about follow-up from the perspective of a salesperson, it could be in the sense of, I don't know how. It could be in the sense of, I don't want to. What is your take on that? Is it more of a motivation issue or is it more of a capability issue? I think that, you know, I, I, I hate to answer you this way, but I think, but I'm going to be that person that says it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I always say that people, they worry that they're going to be annoying if they follow up um, with people mm-hmm. and then they, um, and then they think people aren't interested. And a lot of that is the skill. And we've never, I mean, you and I are great products of this, right? One reason we focus on follow-up is because follow-ups never really been taught. I mean, most people that I know that do follow up, their, their process is they call the customer every two weeks and say, are you ready to buy? They make follow-up right. all about themselves. Yep. And so we've never really, like you think about all the information that's out there about how to really prospect correctly, how to really have the great sales conversation. But nobody ever really teaches you to do a nurturing follow-up system. The other mm-hmm. is the emphasis isn't placed on how important that it is. And I think, you know, if you take our economy pre-2008, Follow-up was a nice to have, but now we live in a marketplace where the consumer is in control, right? They can sit home. Salespeople, I think, are more valuable than they've they've ever been. We're more important, but customers can also buy products without us. Mm -hmm. And so so that is why follow-up is like, it's gone on steroids post-2010 or 11. And we've not really caught up to that in our mindset. One of the things that you mentioned there was that salespeople worry that they're going to be annoying. As we look at and ask the question, is this more of a motivation issue or a capability issue? And I agree. I think that that sometimes as sales professionals, you say, well, I don't want to be that guy who's interrupting my dinner and whatever. They they might see themselves in sort of that telemarketer role that they've we all, we've all come to despise and shun in society. How do we counter that? How do we counter that fear that people are going to think we might be annoying? Yeah, well, number one is you do realize that a follow-up is all about you. If you're constant, I don't care how hot the lead was. I mean, we've all been in the position, right, where we've had a lead and, you know, and it's um, and they said yes, and then the lead goes dark. 
um, if you call every two weeks and you do say, are you ready to buy? They're eventually going to be so annoyed with you. Right. So I, I work with my clients and I say that it's a 70-30 split. 30% of your follow-up needs to be about asking for the business and continue to ask for the business. 70% needs to be value add because what happens is the moment that somebody goes dark on you, it's not that they're not interested. It's that something became a bigger priority than what you're selling. Like, for example, I have an unbelievable call with you. You're ready to pull the trigger. And um, and I say, great, you know, I'll get the contract across tomorrow. And then tomorrow I don't hear from you. Well, what happened was as soon as we finished having a conversation, your biggest client had an issue, your top mm -hmm. employee um, quit, and your kid got a D on their report card. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, buying my product isn't urgent. So mm -hmm. we have to we have to use, we have to realize that when somebody doesn't respond, what they're signaling to us is not that they're not interested, it's that we haven't built the value in and the relationship isn't there enough to make them think, oh my gosh, there's a sense of urgency. And follow-up isn't about pinging people, it's about building information and value in so the sense of urgency rises. So when you see when someone goes dark, it's because something became more important. And I love that, I think you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. So then uh, that means that we need to somehow become more important to them. You're not going to do that by saying, hey, just calling to see if you're ready to buy today again. Uh, yeah. But that's where that providing that value uh, to be able to say, here's something that's going to improve your life really comes into play. And and I know this is a, a big part of what you're talking about, about what you talk about. How do you do it? What, what are some of the yeah. ways that you can creatively seek out that 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 content that will bring new value? Yeah. Um, you know, well, the first thing I do and the, what great timing, because I just had to do it with a with a client this morning. We were mm -hmm. hot on a to sign a contract, um, you know, and now they've gone dark on me. Kind of understandable. Uh, but I just sent an email back to them this morning and um, and I said, you know, Greg, I realize there's a lot going on right now. Please don't worry about responding to this email or following up with you. I'm going to take that responsibility myself. I'm just mm -hmm. going to stay in touch with little value added pieces of information so that when you're ready to move forward, I'm here making it as easy as possible for you. And the mm -hmm. reason I, I, I you know, use your wording or whatever on that type of email, but with that thing, with that, I've done a couple of things. Number one is I have relaxed them from having to take the burden of responding to me. And if they are mm -hmm. in the middle of a lot, that relieves them. The second is I've just given myself permission to continue to follow up. And so the types mm -hmm. of things that Greg and his team will get from me is they'll be invited to webinars. They'll get articles um, of values. They'll get videos that I shoot. They'll get um, invitations to, um, to uh, other things that some of my colleagues um, are doing that I think may be of interest and value to them. I've got a new book coming out, so they'll get a copy of that, um, of that new book. I'll comment and share things on their LinkedIn. Anything that I can do to remain visible but to continue to build that relationship. How do you determine your cadence? Or this, there is this idea that we want to stay in front of our customers and not fall out of their, their consciousness uh, without overdoing it and becoming obnoxious. What's the right way to go about <laughs> determining the, the cadence? Yeah, I think everybody sort of, you know, has their has their own, um, you know, has their own cadence. But mine is that once a client goes dark in the sense that they're not responding to anything, if they were a hot prospect, somebody that I would categorize as an A, you know, mm -hmm. we've talked business, we've discussed, they said they're interested. They'll go after an email like that. They'll go on a once a month 
follow up. I'll stay in touch with them once a month. Anybody that was kind of lukewarm, wasn't really, you know, I, I categorize as a B and I do every other. And then if you fit my target market, I like to tell people, you know, if you are an ideal client for me, prospect for me, you fit my ideal. I'm like a barnacle. I'm never going away. And I put those people in my C's and my C's get something from me twice a year. Every year I do a new year's resolution, a set of strategies you need to make it your best year ever. And in the middle of the summer, I do something prepping you for fourth quarter. And those, my C's, I stay visible with. And what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do is eventually move them to an A. It gives you a, a way to be able to think about that without having to figure out what that looks like for each individual buyer. Uh, what is the best way to personalize follow-up? Because I, I'm, I'm just thinking about an email that I got, a, a, a couple of emails from somebody last week. It, they wanted to be a, a guest on the podcast. And uh, boy, can I really help your customers and I, you know your entrepreneurs who listen to your <laughs> broadcast grow their business by X percent. And I'm like, have you have you even looked at the podcast? You know, I, I appreciate if I've got entrepreneurs who listen because entrepreneurs have to sell, but that's not my primary audience. Did you even listen? And he came back and he said, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm going to stay with you. And I was like, you know what? Don't it, you're, yeah. the, the chances it's already gone. So how, how do you personalize follow up in order to make sure that it doesn't sound like a form letter that we get over and over again? Yeah, so um, I'm going to hear a um, a collective groan from uh, from your listeners at this point, but uh, <laughs> but I am a passionate believer in the um, in the CRM, the Customer Relationship Management um, System, mm-hmm. and I'm a passionate believer in it because I was the person who didn't use it for years, who fought mm-hmm. it like crazy, and so every time I do follow up with people, I certainly have forms and things that I use and general information that I'm sending out, but everybody's gets personalized, and the only way I can personalize it if it is if I have a clue what the heck we talked about last time and yeah. if I have some kind of a clue as to what's going on in your company or what the notes are or mm-hmm. and I can't do that with without those pieces so I'll definitely use some chunks that if I'm inviting people to a webinar I'll use the same little paragraph that you know with everybody that I'm inviting them to a webinar but the opening of that might be you know how are things going in the travel and tourism industry I know it's really really challenging um, uh, right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, our hearts and our prayers are with you versus somebody that I'm talking to, you know, in the tech industry, I that might look very different right now or the healthcare industry right now that, that would look very different and you need to personalize it. But the only way I can do that is with the CRM. Sure. Yeah. You need to know who these people are. You know, it was interesting. I, my last dentist appointment, my dentist came in and, and he said, Hey, last time you were here, you were just getting ready for a trip. I don't even remember where I was going, but, but he said, you were getting ready. How did that trip go? And, and I, and it, it, even right there, I was like, okay, after wow. my last appointment, he went over and he dropped it into the CRM. I knew that's what he did. And I actually called him on it. So you took notes on our last visit. He goes, well, yeah, I like to stay in touch. I can't <laughs> keep track of everybody. And I have to tell you that not only did that not bothered me, that really impressed me because he's oh, a I, dentist. He doesn't have to do that, but he took I, an interest absolutely. in my life. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Love it. Well, and I think I think one thing that again we're underscoring here is that um, is that we're building relationship. So mm-hmm. I think one of the questions that you're asking is so great is how do you personalize it? Is that's exactly what you're trying to do? It is mm-hmm. better to make less follow up and make it real and personable than just funnel out campaigns in mm-hmm. your CRM. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a really, really wise uh, point. It, it's the idea that when we deluge people over and over again with stuff that doesn't really matter to them, then what's the point in the first place? And that would be a piece of advice. It's a, a, a piece of advice that I make often in the book is to ask yourself the question for an individual prospect, what should they be thinking about that they're not thinking about now? How can you solve a problem that they don't even know that they have? And at that point, now it's now they're actually waiting for your next correspondence. They're waiting yeah. for the next call. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, how how much uh, you know? One of the things that we look at here with the CRM, and I, by the way, I'm completely with you. I believe in the power <laughs> of the CRM. Uh, but one of the things that the CRM does, it does make it easy for me to just click an email and send it off. Let, let's talk about the good old phone call. You remember the phone call when we actually oh, yeah. pick up the phone and call people? Uh, mm -hmm. What what advice do you give people in regards to a phone call versus an email? You know, the, the thing about the phone is that, um, and I'm going to say this about, you know, any any medium that you would use to contact people, look for the opportunity as to what your competitors are not doing. And the phone's hot right now because people don't use the phone anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I really advise people to use the phone, but my typical thing is a phone email tag team because most mm -hmm. of the time I get a voicemail. Well, yeah. here's the thing is people aren't listening to a voicemail. And mm -hmm. if they are, they're not going to listen to you if you go long, longer than 30 seconds. So mm -hmm. I do use the phone because number one, you can get my energy in the phone. I've already differentiated myself um, from my competitors, but typically my, um, my, it almost freaks me out when somebody answers. I'm like, wait a minute, I wasn't ready for that. But, um, but typically what I use is I say, hi, this is Meredith Alley Powell. I just wanted to follow up. Listen, don't bother about returning this phone call. I'm going to send you an email and we can start to communicate that way and figure out what's easiest for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I love the idea of the tag teaming. And even if it's a matter of saying, hey, listen, I, I'm going to send you this by email yeah. uh, right now. I need to talk to you and walk you through it. I'm going to call you at three o'clock. Is that OK? The, now the opportunity here is that it's not just a blank phone call out of the middle of a busy day. There's actually a, a, a sort of a quasi appointment that gets made there. So I love the idea of tag teaming. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think yeah. and I also think it's so important in today's um, world to figure out how your prospects and customers want to be communicated with. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I still have some that love the phone. And yeah. if somebody calls me back, they just gave me a big signal that we are now using the telephone. Right. So, and I can't assume somebody wants to text um, just because I like text. So it's, right. I think, right. you know, think those things are, um, are important. I mean, everything we're talking about, right, is how do we make people feel? Sure. Yep. No, absolutely. And I think everything as we head into the wrap up here, I think everything we're talking about is how do I add value to my customer's life? I mean, that's really what the what follow up is all about. It's about how do I add value to my customer's life? Hey, before we wrap it up, you are a business strategist and I uh, just want to talk about your new book here real quick. You have written a book on succession planning. Tell me tell me why. What were you what were you thinking about when you put that together and uh, how did that all come about? Well, it all came about because really, um, uh, I, you know, I worked so much in the, in the area of sales, but I started working with leadership too, because as anybody knows who's in sales, your sales team is really only as good as the leadership uh, team is. But it's very few organizations that I work with today um, that really aren't starving for talent. Even if they can find people to hire, they're starving for the right people to hire. 
And so typically when we think about succession planning, we think about we think about leaders at the top. But really what this book is about is how do you create leadership at every single level of your organization and how do you mm -hmm. build that continuity? Um, you're lucky if your salespeople stay a number of years, but do you have people in place and have you built that type of culture in case they move on? Mm -hmm. Love it. I love it. I love it. Really, really good. And people can buy the book. It, the, the title of the book is? Who Comes Next? Who Leadership comes next? Succession Planning Made Easy. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, before we let you go, a tradition here on The Buyer's Mind, we're going to put you on the hot seat, learn a little bit about you. Rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? I am ready. Your very first job was what? My very first job was washing dishes at the Sun Porch in Hopwood, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Love it. Uh, an artist from your high school days that you listened to over and over again. I was a Bruce Springsteen freak. There you go. There you go. Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood. The most beautiful. Oh, that's so easy. At um, at Mount LeConte in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Very nice. Uh, any book that you read early in life that had a profound impact on the rest of your life? Yeah. How to Win Friends and Influence mm -hmm. uh, People by Dale Carnegie. I still sure. recommend it to all of my clients. Very good. Uh, a movie you've seen multiple times, but it doesn't matter when it comes on, you have to watch it. Oh, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, that's I a will great stop. movie. <laughs> yeah. I, will stop. I will stop everything to watch Pride and Prejudice. There you go. Yeah, my wife is still in love with Mr. Darcy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, your, your very, very first celebrity crush. My very oh was um was Bobby Sherman, which just really sure. dated no, just really dated on. me. I yeah, remember yeah. being able to cut the albums, they cut the records off the back of a cereal box. Oh, I oh I absolutely <laughs> love it. Yeah, that's I, I had forgotten about that. I remember my sister's Tiger Beat magazine. I remember Bobby <laughs> Sherman and his choker, but I forgot about cutting the off the cereal box. How about that's way back. For those of you who are under 35 and listening right now, just ignore all of this. It's irrelevant. <laughs> All right. You're off the hot seat. Uh, Meredith Oliver Powell, great stuff. How can people reach you? How can they follow you, Meredith? They can find me at my um, website, which is valuespeaker.com, the term uh, value, and then speaker.com. And I am a really big connector. I believe if you build your network, you change your life. So you can find me at uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. I tend to live on LinkedIn, though, so I really encourage you to reach out. Love it. Love it. We'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so very much for being on the, the Buyer's Mind Fun Talk. Thank you. It was great. So there you have it. You sort of get the sense why Meredith Oliver Powell is so widely followed today. Uh, she's got that really strong blend of being very dynamic and also being very smart. And as we look at what's going on with follow-up, I love that she made this uh, fairly easy. Now, Murph, I know you're not out there having to do follow-up yourself every day, at least sales follow-up. And yet uh, the way that Meredith described it, it sort of makes you, gives you a little confidence that if my mindset is right, maybe this isn't going to be that hard. Well, and to be honest, I've been on the other end of it, right? Um, so being in video and audio production, uh, I'd be approached by salespeople all the time. I was appreciated the salespeople who actually knew something about my life and didn't just follow up with, hey, I sent you that brochure. Are you going to buy this? You know, yeah. it was nice yeah. to actually have somebody say, hey, last time we talked, your kids were doing this, things going okay on that realm, you know and actually had an interest in me as well as what was going on with the business that I work for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, that's where that trust comes in that that builds the relationship that allows us to serve in the first place, as we've talked about so often on The Buyer's Mind. 
I love Meredith's take on this, that that as we look at the the reason that follow up is something that is so often neglected. Part of it is mental. Part of it is uh, what is our capabilities. But when we think about the mental side of that, yeah, I think she brought up a really, really good point in that. In sales, we want that instant gratification, right? We live for the yes. We love it when a customer agrees. We we do the deal and we we enjoy our evenings better when we've made a sale. We, we're a happier people when we made a sale. And the problem is that when it comes to follow-up, this is not an instant gratification thing. This is something that uh, it, it is a long game. And Murph, I'm sure you could probably see that for salespeople. If they want the quick win, this isn't the way they're going to get it. No, uh, it absolutely is that long game of understanding your customer and where they're at, even in their buying cycle. It may be very well, just like she brought up, um, you know, your kid got a D, um, you're, you've got a business partner who's out or, or the other things that just circumstantially come up uh, that you may not be aware about uh, and you realize, oh, now is not the time to pounce on the sale. It'll come, but maybe a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Her, her comment when she said that when someone goes dark, why do they go dark on us? Well, it's because something became more important. And I have, listen, I've been in that situation. I've seen other salespeople in that situation where somebody goes dark on me and then I start writing stories about what's really happening there while they're not talking to me. And what's interesting about that is that the stories are completely out of my imagination. But those stories are probably not going to be, well, I probably haven't done a good enough job and staying in touch. No, the stories are going to be, they ghosted me. They are doing something uh, else. They are attracted to a competitor. They have discounted it, but it's all on them. But it's not necessarily all about them. It might very well be me. When I look at it and say that something became more important, well, that could happen. Life happens. Work happens. Business happens. Kids have things happen in our lives that will distract us from the purchase process. That doesn't mean we're not going to buy. That doesn't mean we've completely lost interest. It means that there's just stuff going on. But if you write a story that says they are no longer interested, you will stop following up altogether, and that's when your sale is going to die. So I just want to recommend here to you, if you are providing value, if you are adding good, solid content, if you are solving problems that they don't even know that they have, then you're going to be staying in their life for the right reasons. If they're really no longer a buyer at that point, they'll tell you, but stay with them. Do not let their silence dictate your process. Stay with them. Stay connected. Stay with them until you've solved their problem. Stay with them until you've changed their world. 